Hello, I'm Jim Mallard, host of The Mallard Report. On The Mallard Report, along with my guest, we will have a conversation where we will share thoughts, past shows, social media links, and so much more. Visit mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D dot com. And thanks for listening. Uh, Derek, hello. Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. Actually, can you just call me right back? Because Skype gave me a bad sure. connection on my end. Oh, yeah, sure. All right. All right. So, that is my guess. I'm going to be calling me right back here shortly. Yeah, this is bad. You guys are here right over the intro, I'm sure. Um, see how this works out. Give him a second here. Yeah, that was, that's just uh, trying to feedback back because that one doesn't work. I got idea. Try this again. How are you sounding now? Good. How are you sounding? Uh, let's try this. Hold on. Loves me. And some nights technology hates me. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, that's better. Okay. We'll call that one on my end this time. I don't know. But uh, we're live, so don't say anything you never wanted to say, by the way. Okay. Sounds good. So just for the record. <laughs> Uh, some pe- some people I have to give that warning to, and other people who are like, "Yeah, I don't normally say things I wouldn't want to say, anyways." But uh... yeah, um, <laughs> I've done a lot of live radio, so I'm good. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I start there since we're there. Um, you did a show for a while, but I, you're not currently doing it, correct? Did I get all that gathered up right? Yes, I yeah, I stopped doing my show in January. I just had too much on my plate, and something had to give. So I did it for six and a half years. It was, was fun. Say, you did it for a while, though. So that's quite a run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. I did. Uh, I had over a thousand guests, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It, it was. It was. I enjoyed it, but it kind of ran its course. And when I, when I realized I wasn't having fun doing it anymore, I said, okay, it's probably time to stop then. Yeah, it becomes work after when a it while. Became a, it became a chore. Yeah, when yeah. it became a chore, that's when I decided it, I was done. This part of it's always fun, but the uh, the yeah. rest of the stuff isn't. What made you want to start doing it in the first place, and then we'll get to the other things here? Yeah, it was funny, actually. Uh, so my wife uh, was a politician here in Maine, and she was on a show at the same radio station, and they started talking about some topic. I can't remember what it was. And she said, well, you should have my husband on because he has a business and has, knows a lot about that. And so... They invited me on the show. I went, came on on this show. It was a local business show, and uh, we got done the done doing the interview. And the lady says, uh, "Have you ever thought of having your own radio show?" And I said, "No, never once." And she laughed and she said, "Well, if you had a show, what what would it be about? What do you like to do?" And I said, "I work and I coach softball. I don't think either one of those is going to make much of a show." And she said, "All right, well, I'll get back to you." which I thought meant you will never hear from me for the rest of my life. And she called me like uh, four or five days later and said that they wanted to offer me a one-hour time slot on uh, on Saturday mornings. And I was like, sure, whatever. And I figured, you know, I'll do this for a couple months and then that'll be the end of that. And then it lasted for six and a half years and uh, ended up with two hours. Ended up doing two hour show and uh, had a lot of fun with it. Had, get, at first, it was it, at first it was uh, business issues. We talked mostly about business issues, and then after a while, I just decided it's my show. I'm going to talk about whatever I feel like. So that's what it became. Welcome to my show. That's exactly the same. I, I, I started with paranormal stuff, and then I'm like, oh, I want to talk about this. I'm not sure how they'll take it, and then I'm like, my name's on the show. I can do whatever I want. So. <laughs> That's right. I, I had somebody complain about it one time. I said, you know what? You don't like it? Get your own show. <laughs> okay. So let's do the hard reset because I know who you are, but I don't I don't think I introduced you. I, right. know, I know for a fact I did not do the sponsor read. So you know, <clears throat> as a business guy, you're going to have to, right. you know. Uh, schoolofheirs.com. David Perdon uh, wrote the School of Errors book. I don't have it on my desk anymore. My de- Well, it probably still is on my desk, but my desk is uh, – it probably shouldn't have this much weight on it. Uh <laughs> seems like I moved everything onto the room, onto the desk, which is nice. Uh, anyway, School of Errors, it's um, about school safety, but it's a good practical book for anybody who is out in the public and needs to think about critical things about um, 
safety and, and, and all these current shootings and stuff, that's schooloferrors.com. Uh, if you want to hear more from David, he was on the first week in August, so that's whatever, seven shows ago or whatever that is. My guest tonight is Derek Volk. Did I say that right? Yes. Volk? Oh, wow. Hey, cool Volk. star. You're okay, like Volkswagen. <laughs> and uh, so you're, you're, you're a businessman, you're an author, former radio host. So you're, you're right, you do have a lot going on. So I guess let's start with the um, Chasing the Rabbit. Um, go ahead and tell me the title of that book because I've got Chasing yeah, the Babbit. Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son in the Spectrum. And the book is about my experiences raising my son, Dylan, who's now 28. Um, so the book starts uh, at conception without the details and goes until he's 22. So, so it t- takes you through his, his, his whole life and our uh, crazy ride raising him. I, I, I want to say this, and I'm going to be gentle, but when you were raising him, it is different than today because there's more awareness about autism there and is. this other stuff. So how much that's more a, difficult do you a, imagine it was then than it is now? Uh, I think it's, it's it, I mean, it's never easy raising a child with autism, uh, but it was definitely more challenging when nobody knew what it was. I mean, we, 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 you know, when I say we, I mean my wife, uh, recognized that there was something off with Dylan when he was two. I came home from work one day and she sat me down and she said, something's not quite right with Dylan. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't know, but something's not right. And I said, well, you know, my first reaction was denial. I was like, ah, he's fine. He's fine. And she said, no, he's not. And I don't know what it, what it is. And I said, well, what makes you say that? And she said, well, when there are other kids around, he was two. And she said, when there are other kids around, they communicate, they interact with each other at, you know, a two-year-old level, and he doesn't. She said it's like he doesn't even notice or care that they're in the room and I don't know what it is but it just doesn't seem right um, so that was when Dylan was two and it was uh, it was six years later before we got a diagnosis so we went through one diagnosis after another uh, we I, we used to jokingly call it the diagnosis of the month club <laughs> every every place we went whatever that person specialized in boom that's what he had so when he, we went to the lady that specialized in Tourette's syndrome, he had Tourette's syndrome. When we went to the lady that specialized in OCD, OCD was the reason for all his issues. And we just kept doing that over and over and over again. And every time we'd do it, we would, because we couldn't Google anything, so we would go to the bookstore, buy a book about it, and read the book. And when I say we, I mean my wife again. <laughs> and I would come home, you know, a few days later and see her reading the book. And I'd say, you know, what do you think of this diagnosis? And she's like, it's not it. She said, I, you know, I can see some of Dylan in some of this book, but it doesn't connect all the dots. I don't think this is what we're looking for. And then we would go to the next person. It was very frustrating. And then even when we finally did get a diagnosis, nobody knew what to do with it. Uh, I was just, just going to say, so you finally get the diagnosis, but nobody knows what to do with it. So there has to be still even some doubt even then, if it's the oh, one that is... stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we got the diagnosis, the school didn't understand it, they had no idea what they were dealing with, uh, all the so-called experts had no idea what they were dealing with, and we got some really, really bad advice, the school completely mishandled um how they how they respond to Dylan um if you read the book you'll realize why I was not I have not been in we've Dylan and I have done speaking engagements all over the country but not at our local school and you will realize why once you read the book <laughs> um so but I didn't say anything that wasn't true I just told the story in hindsight they probably should change the name of the town but it is what it is yeah well you start changing things, and the next thing you know, no. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I did change. Uh, for the record, there are names in the book that I changed 
uh, mostly the people that I don't speak nicely about. So I change their name. <laughs> they know who they are. But um, the people that I speak positively about, I called and said, look, I'm writing this book, and I speak nicely about you. Do you mind if I use your real name? And they were all fine with that. But I didn't badmouth anybody in the book with their actual name. So all the names, so when you hear me, when you see the book, when you read the book, Chasing the Rabbit, and you go to chasingtherabbit.org to get it, when you read Chasing the Rabbit and you see that I'm talking smack about somebody, just know it's not their real name. Well, so that's disappointing. I was going to look some of these people up and bring them on and talk to them about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, they know who they are. And the people, like when I talk about the, the principal at the middle school, everybody in, everybody in the town that we live in knows who that who that is but the the rest of the world doesn't so they 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 know who they are <laughs> that's enough for me <laughs> so how did we go from a, a rough child i don't want to say rough childhood but a rough experience in school to now doing um speaking engagements because i can't imagine i mean i'm looking at the bridge here and um or the gap and i don't know if there's a bridge big enough so how did we get things turned in the right direction it's it's a pretty big bridge. Um, so I wrote this book um, without basically telling anybody about it. Um, and I wrote it. When you if you read Chasing the Rabbit, you'll read that it's people. The two most common terms I hear are raw and honest. And that's because I hold nothing back. I tell you all the good, all the bad, all the horrible thoughts that I had, all the horrible things that I did as a parent, the missteps that, that I took. I mean, I hold nothing back. And the big reason for that, to be honest with you, is I didn't think anybody was ever going to read it. So I didn't really care what I wrote. I figured that I'm going to write this thing. I just felt like... so. I actually sat down to write a business book. That was my plan. I sat down. A friend of mine said, if you write a business book and you bring it into a potential client and you hand them your book, your credibility goes way up. And I was like, huh, that kind of makes sense. I can see that happening. So I, and he's like, it doesn't even have to be good. Like your book can suck. It doesn't matter because they're not going to read it. You All wrote you the book on it, though. That you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, just show them that you wrote a book, and they'll think you're smart. And I'm like, oh, geez, that's um, that's a good idea. So I sat down and wrote a business book, and as I was writing it, I heard a voice that wasn't audible, but it was as close to audible as anything I've ever heard that I believe was God that said, that's not the book you're supposed to be writing. You're supposed to write a book about Dylan. And I was like, I almost like turned my head. It was so clear. So I started writing, and uh, about a year and a half later, I finished this book, and I had not told Dylan about it. And so um, I figured when I call Dylan and I tell him I wrote a book about him, he's going to say, yeah, there's no way you're telling everybody all that stuff about me. And that would be the end of it. And I would put it on a thumb drive, stick it in my top drawer, and call it good. I did what the voice told me to do. And I called Dylan, and he was totally cool with it, which shocked everybody. Shocked my wife and me, my daughter, who I helped me with the book. I called her. I said, what do you think Dylan's going to say? She's like, there's no way he's going to let you do that. And uh, he was fine with it. And it, it, you know, I mean, it tells his whole, I mean, talk about your life is an open book. I mean, his life is literally an open book. And I said to him, you know, Dylan, I said, this thing goes anywhere. We might even be able to like speak about it. And he said, Oh, I'd be great at that. And I laughed. I said, yeah, you probably would be. Uh, but I didn't realize how good he, he would be. He is unbelievable. He's well, we've done, we've done uh, over a hundred speaking engagements all around the country. And I always tell people that he is Paul McCartney and I'm Ringo Starr. I'm just sitting in the back playing the drums and he's getting everybody crazy. Um, people, they can't get enough of him when he speaks because he's, he has an amazing ability to explain the way his brain works and why he does the things he does, why he thinks the way he thinks and why he sees the world the way he does. And he, he's just, it's just brilliance that he, that he can do that and that he can stand up in front of 1200 people and do it is even more amazing. And from that, 
he actually wrote a sequel called Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism, which is also available on Amazon and Audible, and you can get it through my website, chasingtherabbit.org as well. Yeah, I don't know if so I that's kind of how it all happened. I don't know if I want to speak in front of 1,200 people, um, just for the record. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been great. I could write a whole other book. Uh, just traveling with Dylan and all the experiences that we've had. We were speaking in front of, at one point we were speaking in front of, I think there were like 1,400, 1,500 people in this big, giant conference in uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, it was a HR, HR conference, kind of workforce development conference. And the head of the De- Texas Department of Labor is introducing us. And there's kind of a long backstory to it. But Dylan turns to me and he says, you got the notes? And I said, no, I don't have the notes. You have the notes. And I'd left, I'd left them on his pillow and he didn't bring them down. And we had to wing it. <laughs> we, we just had, we had no notes at all. And it was the first time that we'd done like a workforce conference. And so we had just finished like putting it all together the night before. And so we just, and that that is actually mostly Dylan because he's had almost fifty jobs, and he's been fired from almost every single one of them, which is part of his story. Sounds like a sounds like a story in amongst itself, but it I, is, yeah, yeah. So Harry in my chat room is asking, is this old? I mean, I have some experience in this stuff. Is this old term Asperger's? Is what we're talking about then? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They. They don't use the term Asperger's anymore. Um, They took it out of the diagnosis only because uh, the state of California had their their legal documents for the school system in California said that they have to provide services for kids with autism, but it didn't say Asperger's. So all the schools in California had all these kids with Asperger's and they were putting their hands up going, not our problem. We don't have to get him an ed tech. We don't have to get him, put him in special ed. We don't have to give him special services. And so you can imagine how many people in California this impacted. So they got rid of Asperger's and they just call it high functioning autism, which then made all the schools in California have to help these kids. So that's why Asperger's disappeared. What a bunch of shit. Change the paperwork. Yep. Anyways, before yep. I get myself so, in trouble, I, so, people listening to California, yeah. I can't go too far. But <laughs> Yeah, so now it's called, now it, now they just call it high-functioning autism is the official term for it. But it's Asperger's is the, is the common name for what, what uh, the, the level of, of, of autism that Dylan has. Because it is a spectrum. I mean, it's, it's definitely a spectrum. It goes from the, the, you know, the stereotypical, what a lot of people, when Dylan was diagnosed, thought of as autism, which is the kid sitting in the corner rocking uh, and not speaking, the nonverbal autistic um, child, all the way to, you know, they say Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates both show signs of having autism, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so... That's a pretty big spectrum if you think about that. So yes. Dylan falls in the middle somewhere. That's where it gets wildly out of control. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I'll leave that to the people in California to decide what I need to know. Oh. So I want to dive around for a minute now. Okay. My my listeners going to just go. Oh God. You you manufacture cardboard, right? Correct. I own a Okay, so Bitterford, Maine. I, I I know it's a family business, but is that how do what made what what made you besides being there had to have been some interest besides being a family business, though, right? Or was that just yeah, the whole thing yeah, I, going into it? Because I mean, obviously, cardboard making is not the most exciting thing in the world. I guess. Oh, it's very glamorous. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to even go out in public, frankly. Um, yeah, no, I started working there when I was in high school. I was uh, uh, dating, who's now my wife, and I 
said to my parents, I need to get a job because I want to take Amy to movies and, you know, buy her things. And they were like, and my father was like, Oh, come to, come to the factory and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give you some work. And I'm like, no, if I go down there, I'm not going to just go do busy work. Like I, I'm going to, I want to go in the plant and actually work. And so I started doing that when I was like 16. And back then there were, there weren't all the rules now that I couldn't put a 16 year old out on a piece of machinery, but back then you could. And, uh, I, so I started working there and, and then I was, it wasn't until I was, uh, probably 20 that I decided that I wanted to join the family business and, and give it a go. So, and that's, so that's what I've been doing since I graduated from college and, and, uh, so that was in 1992, so 27 years working in the family business officially. That's quite a run. I mean, how the, the, the biz, I, I, I seen this and I didn't write it down, but it started in the, when did it start? 1967 by my grandfather and my father. And then my uncle joined the business in 74. And uh, so my grandfather retired in 85 and passed away in 96 and my father retired in 2007, and my uncle retired this past January. So now it's just me. So it's just me, and uh, my wife works there part-time, and so technically we're still a family business, and Dylan is actually on the payroll so I can get him Legal Shield, <laughs> <laughs> which is a service that allows you to call a lawyer at any point in time. And if you read my book and if you read Dylan's book, you'll know why Dylan needs Legal Shield. <laughs> but knock on wood... He hasn't used Legal Shield in in a while, so. Um, but uh, that's quite a few stories behind that. Well, I mean, how many people do you have working for you, though? Just the two and a half. I mean, or is there more? What's total. that? How many people do you have total working for you, though? Ninety. So I mean, this is quite the, the quite the process. I shouldn't be. I don't want. I don't think I was downplaying it earlier, but the level of interest in, no, in the actual product is not high. <laughs> it's but a, it should it, be. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good business. It's, I have ninety employees. We run two shifts, and um, and uh, you know we've grown the company. With this, we're actually uh, this this year will be our eleventh straight year of growth. God willing things keep up the way they're going. Uh, this will be our 11th straight year of growth. So, uh, the company's growing and, uh, things are good. It's a good, it's a good business to be. And I have a unbelievable, uh, unbelievable team that I allow me to travel around with Dylan and speak and be gone for days at a time. And I don't have to worry that, um, the place is going to fall apart because, Everybody does their job and genuinely cares about the company. So I'm very blessed. So this question comes from Perry in the chat room. Do you su- is there anybody that buys your boxes that we'd know? That you would know? Yeah. Um, yeah, we sell to General Electric. So, I mean, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't have Amazon. We sell to a local General Electric plant. We sell to other companies like that, Colgate, um, Colgate Palmolive, now, I don't sell to Colgate Palmolive all around the country. That would be lovely, uh, but that's not the kind of business that we're in. We're in a very localized business. And so this, what, what usually happens is a local main company gets purchased by Colgate. And so I used to do business with a company called Tom's of Maine, who make deodorant, toothpaste, and, and all-natural you know, mouthwashes and things like that. And Colgate bought them, so now I deal with Colgate. So Land of Lakes bought another customer of mine. So those are the kinds of companies that you've you've heard of. So we make corrugated boxes for anybody that needs to ship products from point A to point B. So the question for my chatters out there, is there any better gift that you can give your child than a box? I mean, honestly, no. we've all had it. We've all had this experience. Our, our company, our, yeah, our company <laughs> slogan is everybody loves boxes. And so, no, in fact, one year, uh, one year I we were making these really, really large boxes. They were 36 by 36 by 36. So they were three feet by three feet by three feet. And it was like beginning of February. And I thought, geez, we have February vacation coming up for the kids. And, you know, it's winter in Maine. And so I threw one in the back of the car 
and brought it home, and the kids played with that thing for like three months. They just had a blast coloring it and making little doors and stickers on it. So, yeah, kids love boxes. That's what I'm saying. The, 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 <laughs> the gift is actually the box, not what's in it. So d- just remember that when you're Christmas yeah. shopping, get a big box. Exactly. Not an expensive Everybody loves toy. boxes. And then I totally forgot where I was going to come out of that with because I'm just sitting here <laughs> playing with my box in my head. Um, That's funny. It's, like, it's funny, yeah, for the guy that doesn't have to sit here and ask the next question. But, uh, oh, I did There was say- actually a funny episode of The Simpsons where Bart goes to a box factory as a field trip. And uh, it's a really funny episode because the whole episode is premised on how boring it is. And... Um, and then at the end of the episode, he comes home and, and his mother says, so how was your day at the box factory? And he said, good. And she says, so do you want to be a box man someday? And he goes, well, that's the dream. <laughs> so it's pretty fun. It was a very funny episode. Somebody on the Simpsons staff clearly had someone in the family with a box in the box business, so they would never have been able to come up with this funny concept of going to a box factory on a field trip. So, just, it, but, but we do get field trips, and kids actually find it very interesting, believe it or not. Because there's a lot of loud, big machinery. So, I was going to say, I went to the newspaper printing place, not where they do the actual writing, oh, yeah. but, you know, the, with my son. And I was kind of blown away. I was impressed. You know, you take these big, big rolls of paper and then shred it, pretty much, and print on it. Or, well, I guess you print on it and then shred it. Well, not really shred it, but cut it down to size. But when you see how big the roll is, it's kind of like shredding it. If it was a normal piece of paper, and it all, you know, yeah. I know when I, I pull something out of my printer, I get it all over my hand. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> After I st- stand there and bang on it pretty much with a hammer to get it to work, but that's a whole other problem. That must be a personal <laughs> problem. <laughs> um, I, I noticed your company is doing something to honor veterans. Can you give me a... Uh, I just don't want to get into it. I mean, I want to get into it, but I want you to present it because I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so in uh, 2018, last June, uh, on D-Day, June 6th last year, we unveiled a hero's wall. So it's a 50-foot wall that's seven, 50 feet long, 7 feet tall, and it honors veterans. So there are every, every uh, tile... There are tiles on the wall, uh, granite tiles, and every tile has a veteran's face on it with whatever that family wants to do to honor their vet. Um, it can be an active vet, it can be a, a retired vet, a, a someone who's passed away. Uh, doesn't matter as long as they served. And um, so I started this thing uh, with an idea, and uh, it's turned into a something much bigger than I ever expected. Uh, but we have right now, we just cleared 350 veterans on the wall and, um, we still have room for probably another 300 or so, um, before I have to build another wall. And, uh, we've raised so fast and all the money that goes to the veterans wall, um, tiles, all the money goes to the VFW, to the local VFW. So we've raised thirty over thirty thousand dollars already for the local VFW through the Heroes Wall, and we've honored hundreds of veterans who a lot of them had never been uh, given any kind of honor before, and um, it's just been incredible. And and the families that come and and visit their their loved one are just uh, just blown away by by what we've done. It's really and so you can go to my website volkboxes.com. And uh, so if you go to volkboxes.com and click the Heroes Wall tab, uh, you can read all about it and see some video. And it's also on Facebook at VPC Heroes Wall. So I'm very, uh, very proud of it. It's, uh, it's, like I said, it's become, I started with the idea of having one little like 10 foot section and it's just grown into something much bigger. So it's been great. But I, I noticed in your story, you didn't serve. So where did the idea, I mean, no. the... The interest. I mean, obviously, there's there's interest. I think we all have a broad interest, but there normally happens to be that moment of I want to say uh, a spark hits you, like it probably comes from a personal interaction with somebody or somebody in your family. I'm guessing the genesis is all. It. Uh, I'm a history buff, so I read a lot of books about war, and um, 
I just always had a, just a tremendous respect for people that are willing to put their life on the line uh, so I can get up every morning and put my kids off to school and go make boxes. So um, I was actually, the wall came from, um, my wife and I were actually traveling across the state of Maine two summers ago, um, to go whitewater rafting, and we stopped in this little town of Abbott, Maine. Uh, it's a very rural part of Maine. There's 750 people in this town, and they have this beautiful war um, tribute um, park kind of thing that um, honored all the people from Abbott that had ever served, all the way from back to the Civil War up to the you know the current war on terrorism. And I was just blown away by it. I was just, I'm like, wow. Like, we got in the car and started driving away, and I said, I don't understand. I mean, no offense to Abbott, Maine, but a town of 750 people can build something this beautiful. Why isn't there one in our town? Why isn't there one in every town? And I just got kind of fired up and decided, well, I'm going to make do one myself then. I have grass sitting out there and outside my office that nobody's using, so I'm going to build my own thing and that's kind of how it started and when i get going on something i usually kind of <laughs> go a little overboard as you probably already no i have out. i haven't noticed that you you went in with your wife for a radio interview and next thing you know you're hosting a show for six years um notice that you started the right of business are you ever going to finish the business book I, I might someday finish the business book yeah I, uh, I've kicked around the idea of, of, of uh, writing the business book. I actually just finished a book with my father. Um, my, so my father, a couple of years ago, um, he's fine now, for the record, but he had a heart incident where he died three times, and they kept having to defib him and bring him back. And so after that experience, he decided he wanted to sit down and write a book about the history of our company. And... Um, he retired in 2007, but he stopped coming to work. He went started going to Florida in the late nineties. So I helped him with that book. That was a lot of fun, writing A history of the company. Um, so that was my first entry into writing, a writing another book right now. I'm working on a book for my dog. So that's uh that's another one. So my, my dog has a Twitter page and an Instagram. He's poor Winnie on Twitter and he's, and he's, Oh, O H O poor Winnie on uh, Instagram and he's very popular. And so I'm constantly tweeting. Well, I'm not, of course, my, you know, Winnie is. And, uh, so Winnie, so I, everybody loves Winnie's tweets. So but Winnie's uh, 14 years old and a half years old. So he's like 101. So I decided before Winnie, you know, goes up to doggy heaven that, um, we're going to take a, like, you know, 75 or 100 of his best tweets and make a little little book out of it. So it's going to be called The Life and, the Life and Times of Poor Witty. So that's, what, that's my latest project. <laughs> so I've got two completely different questions, and I'm going to go with the more uh, okay. lighthearted question first. All right, does, fire does, away. Does Winnie like boxes? Winnie loves boxes. He, yes. Everybody loves boxes. I know. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get people to, you know, when they see when they see this line in the bio that you know we're going to put out there, they're going to be like, "What?" And now you know we got to drive the point home that people love boxes. So now we we discussed just briefly that you kind of started with some things that you were interested in, and then you kind of took it to your show. And I told you that I used to do paranormal shows, so I can't leave this without asking this question: Did your dad see any light or people on the other side or anything like that? Well, when he was going through these incidents. <laughs> That's a funny story. So my father has this heart incident. Technically, it wasn't a heart attack. It was like an electrical incident. He went out to play golf. He sat down for lunch and then dropped dead. And luckily, the, they, the security people were on him quickly and, and brought him back. But he died three times. And so he lost a lot of oxygen to his brain. So they like when they got him to the hospital, they like covered him in ice and put him in like kind of a coma. Um, and they told my mother that there was a less than 2% chance that he wouldn't end up in a nursing home because of all the, you know, loss of oxygen to his brain three times. And, uh, 
So Monday, so that was a Wednesday. So the following Monday comes, and the doctors say that they're going to bring him out of the sedation and see how things go. And so I, my brother and I were there, my mother, and, and uh, so they bring him out of sedation, and he kind of wakes up, and uh, my mother goes over to him and says, hey, now they've been married 55 years. So my mother goes, hey, and he go, my father looks up at her and he goes, did I die? And she says, well, kind of. And he says, no shit. And she said, did you see a bright light? And he looks at her and he goes, I saw you naked. And so we knew at that point that he was probably going to be okay. And he ended up with absolutely no impact to his brain whatsoever. It, the doctors absolutely could not explain it. So he didn't see a bright light, but he also, something happened because the doctors said that there was no way that he wasn't going to come out of this thing with at least some brain damage, most likely enough to be in a nursing home. And he is 81 years old now and out shooting his age on the golf course. So uh, that was my full question. I, I was going to ask you if he went back to the golf course. Yep. He's, uh, he, yeah, <laughs> since then he's, he's shot his age and come close a couple times and, uh, you know, can beat me every time that's for sure and so it's it's you know i told him i said this you know you were kept here for a reason so you know now you got to figure out what it is because it just doesn't make any sense then he wrote a he wrote a little book called dying is overrated <laughs> and uh it was it's like a this little book that he wrote and it's everything that he remembers from his experience dying and it's blank. There's nothing in the book. So you just open it up and the first page thanks the paramedics and, and my mother for supporting him and everything. And then it says what I remember on day one and then it's blank, three blank pages. And what I remember on day two and it's four blank pages. So it was a very quick book to write. People, he'll hand it to my, our customers. He'll go out and visit customers still and they'll hand it to the customers and I'll run into them later and they're like, I haven't had a chance to read your father's book about his, his medical experience. I'm like, well, yeah, it's not going to take you very long to read it. You need like, to make some time to do this. It. <laughs> take it to the bathroom and you'll be done before you come out. So it was pretty funny. Now, see, we're laughing, so I can, I can go here. I have this vision of Caddyshack, that, uh, who was it, the, the, the doctor playing in the in the rainstorm because he was playing the best round of his life. Oh, yeah, yeah. At this yeah, moment. Yeah, fuck? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the reverend. Yeah, yeah, there we, yeah. That's great. <laughs> yep. It's been a, a while since I've, I've been a while since I've seen that movie, but it's I just had that image and blazed into my head when we're talking about this for some yeah, yeah. horrifying well, but can it, amazing can reason. Ever, can you ever Yeah, can you ever play golf on the uh, and and when it's raining and have somebody not say uh, I don't think the heavy stuff will come down for quite a while. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think you can say you can play golf without somebody saying that. And if somebody yeah. doesn't say that, you're playing with the wrong group of people. That's right. You're playing with someone <laughs> who can't quote Caddyshack, and you should not ever play golf with someone who can't quote Caddyshack. So, since I'm trying to annoy my listeners to no end tonight, is Cat is Caddyshack the best golf movie ever made? I think. Oh yeah, I don't think there's even. What well, could even come close to that? Well, I mean, the people of like my generation know, would tell you like Happy, Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. No, that's. that's I know. That's I'm not telling you it's Happy Gilmore. No, no, there's, <laughs> it's, no. It's not even close. But my friends would tell you it's Happy Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. I think it's. Uh, I think it's Caddyshack all the way. No. <laughs> Is that the best sports movie though? Uh, my favorite sports movie is um, The Sandlot. Ooh, see, I'm I going slap. I'm going Slapshot. Slapshot. Slapshot is the first is the first R-rated movie I ever saw. <laughs> my father took me to Slapshot. My brother and me to Slapshot. That was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. That's a that's a good one too. I get, so we're going to strap on the foil. And we're going to get through the rest of this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, yeah. so but I love the same. I love the Sandlot. That's a great. That's just a great. It just reminds me of my childhood when we used to just go out and play ball, and there were no rules, there were no uniforms. 
We just go out and we play ball until dark. And we would act, we would actually get. I remember one one time where we went in the house and pulled, found every lamp we could find so that we could play wiffle ball after dark. Kids don't do that today. That's too bad. Basketball. That's not, that's not even a movie, right? I mean, that 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 doesn't count, Harry. I'm sorry. That basketball doesn't count as What's a that? top basketball. The movie it's where they play. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a bad. It's it's so bad. It is good. Okay. I'll give you that. <laughs> so you That's funny. normally I, I have some rapid fire questions that I just devolved into. So we're just going to keep going with them. I get the feeling for a few minutes here while I yeah we're we're yeah we're <laughs> we're off topic for sure. Um, well, with with traveling with your son, um, is there still? I guess most of that's probably in the United States. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, we actually uh, we yeah we we've only been in the United States. I've tried to get some gigs in Canada, and it hasn't worked out because we want to say we're international speakers, and uh, but it hasn't worked out. I I told Dylan, I said, sometime you come home because we're in Maine. I said, sometime you we're two and a half hours to the border. I said, you, what we're going to do is we're going to get in the car, we're going to drive up through New Hampshire and Vermont. That's the shortest way to get to Canada. We're going to go into Canada. Find the close first, like McDonald's. Speak to like six people, and then drive home. And then we can say we're international speakers. But we haven't done that yet. Sounds like a good but road trip. Sounds like a good fun road trip. Yeah, just for the sake that of that would be a good road trip. Yeah, just for the sake of doing it. So maybe we'll maybe we'll do that next time he comes home. He lives in Los Angeles now, so that has that has, okay. We'll just go there for a second. That has to be like the big. Well, I don't want to say the biggest culture shock, but. It's pretty close, right? It's pretty close. Yeah, he lives uh, right on Hollywood Boulevard, which is, there's probably more people in, like, one Google Earth shot of his uh, of his apartment than in the state of Maine. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a very different, uh, it's a very different world over there. But he loves it. He hates the cold, and uh, so he, 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 he likes the the excitement of California. And, uh, so he's, I mean, he's a, he's a success story. I mean, the kid is, he's out there living on his own. He's been out there for, uh, let's see now two and a half years. And, uh, you know, he's, he's working, he's, um, he's got a, he has, he rents in a room from, from somebody in, in an apartment. And, um, you know, he's staying out of trouble again, knock on wood. I mean, he, uh, he's been drug free for, um, almost three years, which we're very proud of, uh, which you can read about in, in his book, bad choices, make good stories. Dylan was, uh, arrested for meth shortly before he went to Los Angeles. So, um, yeah, the kids, uh, the kids come overcome a lot of, a lot of difficult, difficult things and difficult decisions. Um, and he's, he's, uh, doing really well now. So he even has his, his own podcast. It's called Outrageous Autism. So uh, you can check that out. It's called No Offense, Outrageous Autism. So it's on, I think it's on YouTube, and uh, that's the best place to get it. And you can follow him at uh, Real Dylan Volk. If you want to get really deep inside the brain of somebody with autism, watch some of Dylan's videos. But if you're easily offended, do not watch Dylan's videos. That's what I always <laughs> tell people. Okay, if you so don't have a that... sense of humor and you're easily offended, you just avoid Dylan's videos. But if you have a sense of humor and you can take a joke and not get offended by things, because he's he doesn't have much of a filter, so just be prepared. Uh, but you will, you know, you will learn a lot about autism and uh, just from watching Dylan's videos and. Certainly, his book is uh, is terrific. And again, if you go to chasingtherabbit.org, you can get both our books, and there's a two-for-one deal. So, Now, I've seen earlier, but I didn't get a chance to watch it because I thought it was a shorter like book trailer, but it's like a documentary about the book, right? There is a documentary about the book, yeah. That's a whole, that's another, yeah. Somebody called me a couple of years ago, a year ago, maybe, and... Uh, said uh, that he read the book and he's a documentary filmmaker and he wanted to do a documentary about uh, our story. Uh, uh, the, 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 the documentary is almost 
the story of of telling the story. So there's a lot of footage of me telling the story interweaved with uh, home videos, interviews. He he did a really nice job with it. He did a really, it, it, I, I thought it came out great. Um, so he tried to get it on to PBS and they didn't, they, they didn't pick it up, but um, it's on YouTube and, and um, you know, I think he, I think uh, he did a really good job with it. So, um, and it, uh, it's just another way for us to share our story. The, the, the thing about this whole chasing the rabbit process and from the beginning and, and to today is, you know, I mean, I'm not in this for the money. It, it's, I just want to share our story. Every time I share our story, it impacts somebody. Like it's been, people have asked me, you know, has the book been a success? And I'm like, well, you know, Oprah didn't mention it. So I wasn't <laughs> on the Today Show. So, it, you know, it did it have the commercial success that I would have dreamed of where, you know, I'm a, it's a bestseller? No, it didn't. Um, but I have 200 four- and five-star reviews on Amazon. I just got my 200th review. All four and five stars. You read their reviews and you see the impact that it's had on people. And... If I never sell another book, I'm good because we've the, the experiences that we've had, the, the things that people have said to us of how the book has changed their family dynamic because they understand their child or their grandchild or their nephew or their brother um, has been so so amazing that I can't and such a blessing that I can't even I can't even like explain it um i i had a my assistant my personal assistant uh executive assistant that uh, hired uh back in october uh read the read my book and she called her her mother and said that her uncle has asperger's and her mother was like no he doesn't no he doesn't and she's like yes he does he's just like dylan and she sent her mother the book and a couple of weeks later her mother called her and said oh my god my brother has autism and he's like 59 years old and they never knew what the deal was with him. And until they read chasing the rabbit and all of a sudden for 59 years, she didn't understand her brother. And now she gets her brother. I mean, that's better than selling a crap load of books. Yeah. It's just, that's what I tell people about the show. I read, I mean, touch a few people than just have a bunch of people who I don't want to say going through the motions by listening, but you know, that's pretty much the only way to describe it in a short period of time. So yeah. I agree if you understand that completely because at the end of the day, it's a human experience we're looking for. Not, well, I guess some people are out there looking for the, uh, check. Easy way to put it. Uh, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. And I, and I, and I get that, but, I have a nice business. I make a good living. I have a credible wife and four great kids. So now I want to make a difference. And this book has certainly helped me do that. So, I mean, I, I, I love my job and I love my company, but if I, you know, what I've done with the book, what I've done with the heroes law, if I died and my obituary said he made a lot of boxes, that would kind of suck. So that would be true, but yes, I know what you're saying. <laughs> it would be true, yeah. But I wouldn't feel like I left a that that wouldn't be the legacy that I want to leave. That I made a lot of boxes. No. So. And then there's that weird, morbid question coming again. But I know you're not going to be buried in one of your own boxes because that just sounds kind of weird. And cardboard probably not holds up that well. <laughs> yeah, my my we actually make boxes for um, cremations, so. We uh, we do make cremation boxes. It's a very good customer of ours. Uh, but we, uh, because when they cremate somebody, they don't just, you know, stick them in there. They put them in a box. And they don't want to put them in a nice coffin. So they need a corrugated box. Um, yeah, my father has actually joked about that he wants me to cremate him and then mix him in with some ink and put him through one of the machines so he he can go get shipped out on with a bunch of boxes. So I don't know if that's actually in his will or not. I guess I'll find <laughs> out when he 
when he passes if he wants me to cremate him and mix him in some ink and run him through a machine. But somebody someday could have uh, Ken Volk in their box and not even know it. <laughs> I, I just, I can't. I mean, that's so cool, but they're so, they're, that's cool to me. And then I can see the other people going, ooh, creepy, and you know. And now, now people, yeah. there's other people out there going, ooh, haunted boxes, yay! No. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I have this Something range perfect. of emotions going on in my head, and it's just no good. So I, I started by asking, because you've been all across the country, is there, I guess we could take it outside the country, is there somewhere you just like to go besides speaking? Uh, well, my wife and I just celebrated our 30th anniversary with a trip to Scotland and Ireland, and that was awesome. So that was a that was a wonderful trip. And while we were away, we said, "Okay, you know, where where we want to go next? We'd love to go to Africa. That's where you know we'd love to go to you know do one of those African safari trips and see Africa. Um, so that's that's probably high on our bucket list." And I'd love to go to Israel as well. She went to Israel last year. Um, she was invited to go to Israel um, as a former legislator. Um, and uh, But I was not able to go on that trip. So um, I'd love to go to Israel. So we're, gonna, we're planning a trip to Israel, too, at some point. So just, well, the married, just the married guy and me coming out, do you have a chance of winning an argument with your wife ever? Being a politician uh, and... Plus, being a, a woman. No, I, no, I don't. Even, <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want to try to do that. that. That would be a bad idea. So, happy wife, happy life. That's the, the most important thing to remember. Nice complaint mails go to Jim at the report dot com. Okay. Um, <laughs> at least that, there's there's going to be a complaint about it. I'm sure, even though that was lighthearted and not meant to be offensive. I'm sure. Yeah. If, if you're offended by that, please don't go listen to Dylan's stuff, just for the record, because <laughs> one email is just sufficient for all of us. You can send it to me. Now, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing what people are getting offended by anymore. It's like... Rampant. Oh, I know. People get it. Yeah, people people don't have a sense of humor anymore. It's, it's, it's too bad. It's, I mean... Yeah, I deal with it every day. I mean, I, you know, when you have 90 people that work for you, you have to, you know, be careful everything you say and and uh, you know, it's that I I saw a story one time on I think it was like 2020 or something with John Stossel and and he said that he was talking about this whole thing and he said the most sensitive person in the building gets to make the rules. I thought that was a that's Exactly right. Whoever's the easily most easily offended gets to decide where the bar is. So, there's some truth in that. And then, uh, I always joke behind every good every, behind every policy is a great story. Um, may not be a great story, yeah. than the, but there's a, a it was great enough that it made people mad enough that we somebody had to sit down and write up a policy about whatever it may be. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's very true. Is that the biggest? I mean, what's the biggest challenge being a small, well, small, smallish business owner? Uh, you know, I, the, you know, the biggest challenge is is I mean, is it's ironic because the somebody asked me one time, "What's the best thing about the you know the your com your company? What do you like best about?" running your company and I said the people and they said what's the most challenging and I said the people <laughs> so it's the same answer um, it, and but it's not most of the people it's uh, what what's most frustrating is the the two or three people that either take advantage of something or you know just are a pain in the butt or whatever or just not good people and you end up hiring them, not knowing that. And then you're, you know, sometimes you're stuck with them for until you can, because you can't just fire anybody anymore, you know, because they suck. They like, you have to, 
document everything eight ways from Sunday. And that's the most frustrating thing is that if somebody is just a jerk or they are taking advantage of workers' comp, which is something that drives me insane, you know, oh, my shoulder hurts. I, you know, I'm going to take two weeks off. Um, it's just very, fr- that's the most frustrating thing. So, um, but it's, uh, but the, today actually is a very exciting day. We, today we hit uh, 200 days without a, a lost time injury. So that was, uh, we just announced that today. So it's, uh, trying really hard to create a safe working environment with, without people, uh, feeling like, uh, they need to fake an injury, which happens all too often. And that was me knocking on wood for everybody trying to figure out what that noise was on behalf of the 200, <laughs> yeah. 200 days in a row there. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> we, 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 so our record is 851 days. So I told everybody today, get ready, folks. Get ready, because on July 7, 2021, we're going to have a big freaking party because we're going to break the record. So we're on our way. We're 200 days. We got 651 days to go. Hey, I'm I'm pulling for you. Thank you, thank you. Because I mean that I mean I understand that so, pain. I mean, that's a bad pun there. Understand yeah, that pain. And and we yeah, but I mean we don't we don't, not only do we want not want people to you know fake injuries, but we also don't want anybody to get hurt. I mean it's a it's we want to have a, create a safe environment, and it is a safe environment. There's no reason to get hurt. So we have a good safety committee and a good team. And um, everybody's looking out for each other, and and uh, I got every, you know, we're we're only six hundred and fifty-one days away from breaking our record. So, not that he's counting down or anything. <laughs> yeah. So. so, so Derek, we're rapidly running out of time, which often happens. Right okay. Here. Uh, give me the websites again and all that fun stuff, so people can find you in the books and speaking engagement. You know, sure. just. You, you're a radio guy. You know what to do here. I'll shut up now. Yep. Yep. So go to chasingtherabbit.org to get my book, chasingtherabbit.org. You could also check out Dylan and see him speak. Uh, there's a video on his page, which is badchoicesmakegoodstories.com, badchoicesmakegoodstories.com. And uh, if you're interested in either having your loved one or your hero up on the hero's wall, or um, sponsoring a veteran. One of the things that we decided when we did this Heroes Wall uh, is that we don't want anyone to not get a tile on the wall because they can't afford it. So it's $150 for a tile, um, and part of the money goes to pay for the tile, and the rest of the money goes to the local VFW. And if somebody can't afford the $150, I've been out trying to find sponsors and I've had corporate sponsors and personal. I got, actually got a personal person today that gave me 150 bucks and said, give this to a veteran who can't afford one, a tile or a family. You know, a lot of times it's World War II wife. You know, she's 86 years old and she can't, you know, $150 is a lot of money. So we tell them, don't worry about it. We will get a tile for you, your husband and, you know, at the bottom of it, it says this tile was generously donated by this person or XYZ company. And uh, the tiles are just, they're absolutely beautiful, and the wall's just really special. And uh, so you can go to volkboxes.com, V-O-L-K-boxes.com, and you can uh, click Heroes Wall, the picture of the Heroes Wall information, and then go from there. You can walk, it walks you right through it. You can do it right online. Well, Derek, thank you for everything tonight. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been great. I look, I enjoyed talking with you. And uh, if anybody's interested in uh, Dylan and me coming to speak, just uh, hit us up to our website. Google either one of us. You'll very easy to find. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thanks a lot. The views and opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. Past shows, social media links, and so much more. Visit Mallard.com. M A L L I A R D.com. And thanks for listening.
You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.